the Senzo Meiwa trial this week, a childhood friend of the soccer star, Dumelo Malala, completed its testimony on the witness stand, weeping. The court has also heard how Malala was paid by Netflix for the pictures that he had of Meiwa, but he's refused to divulge just how much he was paid. On the Twitter space, listeners weigh in on whether Malala was a reliable witness. My name is Komatsa Mudise and I am with the Eyewitness News team. I am the lead reporter in this particular story. Um, this is the third installment of Above the Law, the Senzo Miwa trial uh, space, Twitter space. And we've been so fortunate to um, have this platform uh, as in the form of spaces where we can converse. I know a lot of you have been interacting with my tweets. A lot of you have been responding to um, my live tweets on the trial. And so I know that many of you uh, have an interest in this particular matter and you've got opinions. So what we're going to be doing and what we've done in the in the last two episodes is that we spent the first half hour or so uh, speaking to the legal analyst of the day. And of course, today we've got Umpumelelo Zigalala, who's joining us once again. We're going to be speaking to him on what he makes of uh, this trial, but also we'll be speaking to him just around, you know, any questions that we may have legally, uh, any things that I may not be able to answer he will take for us and be able to clarify. And then after that, we will open up the mics and it will be your opportunity to contribute any questions. I know many of you have questions, but also many of you have uh, a bit of analysis about what happened and you are making sense of this also at home. And I know that usually we do this um, and we take a look at the week that was, but this is also an opportunity for us to take a look at Dumula Malala's testimony because he's completed his time now on the stand. So it means, you know, we, we can take a look back at, you know, his entire testimony. It's a lot, um, but we'll try to sum it up. Bumelelo, thank you so, so much for taking the time. He is uh, a lawyer, but also a legal analyst. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Okay, good afternoon to, to you, Humoto, and also to the EWN team and also to the listeners that have tuned in. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Let's get right into it. I know that you've been um, watching this case closely and I appreciate that because you'll be able to give meaningful contribution and not just, uh, you know, be able to comment on what we ask. Uh, but Dumela's finished his testimony now and I am certain that he's relieved because we saw him weeping at the end of that testimony. Um you know, when this matter started, I don't know if many of you remember, but when he first took the witness stand, he took it, you know, under very rocky circumstances. He uh, had been chased around the Pretoria High Court by journalists and he was very shaken, emotional. Um, you know, it was very, very difficult for him to take the stand. And, and you know, the court was kind to him in allowing him the opportunity to be comfortable. And I thought that that would set the tone for his testimony. I thought that we would see an emotional, a timid Dumelo Matlala throughout his testimony. But the transformation that he's made from the time that he he started to, uh, you know, the type of uh, witness that he was towards the end has been really, it's been incredibly mind-blowing for me. We've seen him chuckling, laughing on the witness stand. We've seen him asking rhetorical questions, you know, um, at some point, you know, he's been uh, answering with questions, you know, even though he's there to be asked questions. What did you make of him uh, as a witness in Pumelel? Oh, well, I, I think let's start with the most important thing, which is the credibility of any witness which is going to go in a witness stand. I think for me, it was too much of a, a convenience to forget certain points or certain details when it suited him and when it suited um, the narrative of, of, of the defense, then he would say, nah, I've forgotten. But in certain instances, we're going to assist him. And then he says, yes, I do remember. These are the things that were there. I'll remember the person at any time who got in and pointed us with the firearm. But with the inter- intimate details of where everyone was when the struggle or the, or the, the tussle started, then it would seem to go in, in, in another direction. However, as a, a witness, I think there's going, there's going to be certain trouble when it comes to the legalities. First one is this one. Um, if, if, if you then come in and give account of sequence of events to which you've been told by someone else, that's basically throwing your, your witness out of the window because it basically means that you're not detailing or giving anything which comes from you. You're giving us hearsay evidence. Now, if you do not know, going to know 
who actually uh, uh, was was carrying the firearm that shot the fatal shot. You don't know how the, 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 the gun went off. You don't know how people were standing. There was a bit of evidence which then came in. Unfortunately, it was muzzled out by the court as to whether the, the, the exit wound or, the, or the, the entry wound was and whether it was consistent with his testimony. is another issue that will come in, I think, at a later stage. So for, for, for me, he may have provided information as to who was there placing those particular individuals within the same room. However, in pinpointing the five accused, which are in the accused box, and actually attaching them in into the actual scene of the crime, and placing what exactly did they did do in the individual roles, I think he has failed to do that. And maybe as time comes, and certain other witnesses and. Uh, maybe witnesses which will be able to collaborate what he's saying. But for me, if we were to give him a score out of 10, I would basically give him a 5 or even a 4. Um, even though, this is even though he was able to um, identify accused number 2, Ubongani Danzi, quite strongly and confidently. I mean, from time to time, whenever questions would come, you know, about Undanzi or one of the accused, he would, it's almost as though he would turn this into this different person. He'd speak very, very authoritatively to say, I saw him. He'd use language that's very strong to say, even in the next 30 years, I would be able to identify him. I would be able to see him at any point. Even with that, do you think he's his testimony is not worth much. It not not especially because the 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 point of identification or the time of identification is when this particular accused person is in the accused box. Now, then the question is, uh, and in this case, I'll blame entirely blame it on the investigating officers. What they ought to have done is to say, when we have rounded off the five accused before they appear in court, or even if they appear in court, we say to the court. Uh, please make sure that their faces don't make it up into the media. We still, because we still have to identify and conduct identity parades, and then you go and identify or, or conduct that identity parade. Get the information that you require. Get them to be identified within the identity parade first before they are identified at court. Now, if you are going to ask someone, do you remember Mr. So and So who came in eight years ago, and can you be able to point them out when? Their faces have been branded within various media publications. They are sitting as accused number two in the witness box. Obviously, it's much more easier for you to identify that particular individual, but it it dents the credibility of your evidence when it comes to the court of law if that identification is done within the witness box. There have been a number of cases before which has clearly stated that, you you know, as courts, as presiding officers, judges should not really grant too much weight as to the identification of, of accused individuals who are inside the witness box. However, greater weight should then be attached to witnesses or evidence which is going to say, I've identified this person within an identity parade, an identity parade which is conducted in line with the Criminal Procedure Act, with all the precautionary measures have been put there, and those precautionary measures simply want one thing, is the independence of the evidence in which we are supposed to bring in, is the similarities of all the people who are going to stand part and be part of that identity parade, and it is your ability to pinpoint that one individual out of all the five or six men that are standing there and simply say, this is the person that I remember that on the day I was simply standing there. Because another point could then be, if you are able to identify this particular person eight years down the line, why aren't you clear as to what you told the police at that particular point in time? Why aren't you clear as to the sequence of events that have taken place within the room? So if you can selectively remember certain things and forget others, then the next question should be, why didn't, when, when, when exactly should we believe the level of all the evidence that you are coming with at that particular point in time or now? And with that, there's not going to be so much weight that can be attached to the evidence that you are going to bring in. Mm. I, I mean, uh, hello. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. All right, sorry about that. So I've been saying, I've, I've been battling and asking myself whether or how truthful Dumelo Malala is as a witness. Uh, one point that jumped out to me during the coverage, especially this week, is how he's been asked repeatedly uh, about the amount of money he received from Netflix. 
um, and how much he was paid. And of course, the fact that he was paid has also come under scrutiny with questions around, you know, just morally as a friend, you know, you selling your friends uh, pictures and financial gain. Right. But the, the question that that's been asked repeatedly is, is how much were you paid? And for the longest time, he said, um, go to the Netflix people to ask ask Netflix. I've got the documentation, ask Netflix. And at some point this week, all of a sudden, when uh, Advocates Mshololo puts it to him that, did you forget? He says, yes, I forgot. And I'm not sure that that's a truthful account. But secondly, then I put that against, you know, um, a lot of other stuff that he said, for example, about the clearing up of the scene, of the crime scene, and the cans that were present. And he's answered, you know, to say, I don't know if the scene was contaminated. I don't know if the cans were removed. It's been this, you know, in my head thinking, how truthful is he as a witness? What was your sense, Mpumelev? You know, the, the the way in which cross-examination then occurs and the type of, of evidence which you are supposed to receive from a witness is understandable from both the presiding officer and all the legal practitioners that are there that we are going to forget certain information. We are humans at the end of the day. We are not superhumans. However, the point then becomes, are you then able to remember the intimate details, be able to repeat the evidence that you gave in examination in chief? And regardless of how the questions have been rephrased, you still stick to the same answer, showing that you really know what you are talking about, it, it remains there. But the most important one when it comes to an honest witness is where they are going to answer even questions which are going to put them in a bad light for the sake of speaking the truth. So what you ought to have done there is to say, uh, I may not remember how much money I've received, but I did receive a certain amount of money and it's within this particular range. It's, it's impossible that you cannot remember that amount of money. He can be branded as someone who made a profit out of his friend's loss or out of his friend's family's sorrow. But at the end of the day, he has answered. He's, he's been able to show that when he goes into the witness box, he's, 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 he's able to answer every single question which is going to come there. This question, by the way, had no had nothing to do about the sequence of events that took place on the day. So it dealt directly with his credibility as a witness. And I think on that, that's where he failed to, 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 to bring the level of credibility or to increase his levels of credibility to the to, 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 to the court. And once you have done that, you then say, I'm a reliable witness. I can be able to provide information to you that you do not have received from anybody else. So if you look at my level of credibility, the way in which I've answered all answers, even those answers which if you look at it indirectly, whether socially or legally, they're against me, then you must trust what I'm telling you. And that's exactly what is going to cause all the other questions which are then going to come in, or his answers in this case, not to be really trusted by the court, because the court will then say, you are failing to answer basic questions. You are failing to answer basic things which at the end of the day will allow us as a court to have confidence in you and to give you the level of credibility that you ought to, to receive in the first place. So we can't rely on the evidence that you are providing because you have failed a number of times to be consistent, you have failed a number of times to be truthful, and in most critical points, when we are requiring uh, answers as to the various elements of the crimes that need to be proved, especially by the state, you then have failed to do that. And secondly, with regards to re-examination, I think the state was supposed to really stick on that and maybe even put it to, to clarity so that it's understandable from, from just to make sure that the court understands and also us as members of the public because this is going on and everybody can see what's happening. And just to separate the two and say, did the payment from Netflix have any bearing on the witness that you are giving here? Have you changed anything? Did you change anything from the time in which you gave evidence then up until you gave evidence now? Did the receiving of money change uh, the, any truthfulness or the sequence of events that you've detailed? And for sure the answers would have been no, 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 no. Which would have given the, the, the impression to the court that take away the money or include the money. It does not change how I've provided the evidence in this honorable court. So you can trust me or the credibility that I come with that I'll be able to give you the answers that you are looking for. And of course, you can rely on the evidence that I'm, I'm, I'm giving here.
Mm-hmm. What kind of a foundation do you think he's laid for, you know, the other witnesses that are going to come, particularly the people that were in the house with him on that day? Because he's kind of placed everyone, almost accounted for everyone's whereabouts, um, you know, in terms of you know, this one was standing there, or I think that I saw that one there. But what type of a foundation has he laid for the, for the next person? For example, if it's Umtogo or if um, it's Zandi? Um, it's it, it, it's firstly the sequence of events. How every if this this particular incident started from the walking in or the entering of the the, the accused persons or the alleged perpetrators into the room, with the struggle that ensued, who was sitting where and what was taking place. But then, secondly, what he has done indirectly, which is in favour of the defence in this case, especially for accused number five. Just remember when asked, did you see accused number five within that room? His answer was no. So he has eliminated him from that particular room. And I think it will be up to the state to then say, how then do we link accused number five to this whole process from taking place or this whole uh, event that took place so that you can look at his capability in the wrongdoing that he has participated in? The the same would apply for accused number one up until accused number four. I would have expected maybe a response or one of the questions should be, from the, the, their counsel to, to then say, please pinpoint, if you say you only saw accused number two, did you see accused number one, did you see accused number three and accused number four? That must be explicit. It can't be assumed. Uh, that's, that's how things went went on. But I think what then will follow is that any other witnesses who is going to come in, detailing or be intimately involved as to what exactly happened in that particular room, will then have to say, state a sequence of events which is similar to what Umadala uh, stated, and if it's different, then the question would be, you seem to be contradicting each other. Who's lying between the two of you? Who's, who's forgetful between the two of you? But the most importantly for the defense at uh, reps, they would then say, I want to exonerate each of my uh, participants in this particular process so that they are not placed in the same room as the alleged perpetrators. However, if there are going to be instances of inconsistencies, I want to highlight them now so that at the end of the day, I can be able to come back and say, Look at the level of evidence that which was provided. It certainly does not uh, put my client within the same space or the same sequence of events or time as when the alleged uh, offense took place. So definitely, they can't be found guilty of of, of committing that particular crime. Another evidence that we should not um, um, so, sort of not forget is that forensic the the the, the J eighty eight report, which details the entry and the exit wound, is going to be very crucial as to how. That particular process came through because it details how the struggle then ensued, then details uh, whether they are speaking the truth as to where the, 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 the gunshot went off and where was Mr. Sanzomini was standing and the alleged shooter, where was he standing. So they are going to try and pinpoint all of those just to make sure that at the end of the day we have a sealed case and that's from the side of the state and the defense of course will be seeking to discredit whatever that comes from the NPA. Yes, you couple that that report about the entry point um, of the bullet uh, with what we heard from uh, advocates in Shololo that a neighbour says he saw someone with a white t-shirt and of course Mazala says the person who was in a white t-shirt is uh, Senzo Meiwa the neighbor says he saw someone with a white t-shirt standing against the window and uh, he says then that's when he heard the gunshots and so it then that eliminates or it casts doubt on whether uh, Senzo could have been shot from behind because if his back was against the window um, you know he would likely have been shot from the front even though Malala says he was shot from behind I think uh, you know another I, I've got more questions here for you and I know that our time to converse is going to come to an end as I open up the mics for everyone someone here saying that's Sia Bongwa saying the, uh, this other interesting thing about Dumelo Malala's evidence is that he can't remember the amount he received last year but remembers all the events that happened eight years ago Mm, right that's very interesting Uh, and we've spoken about that how much we can actually uh, excuse or how much the courts excuse a witness uh, for lapse of memory which is pleaded over and over again something else i want us to speak about that um, really jumped out at me but it's an argument i've been making before is that there is a second docket here that's docket 375 it is the docket that um the people in the house uh, are the accused and and what we saw during the last session I, uh, two months ago the NPA said they were considering still considering that docket and they would make a decision to prosecute 
based on what happens in the current matter that's before the courts. Advocate Simshololo makes an important point that I've made before, that because of that, how then, I mean, are witnesses truthful while they understand, or do they run the risk of wanting to protect themselves in case they have to stand trial as accused uh, and what they say now you know, can be used against them. Is that is that something that you 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 think is a is a prospective you know event that someone that a Dumelo um Togo Kelly Zandi and others get on the witness stand with caution, protecting themselves because they're afraid that in the event that they are prosecuted, what they say is used against them. I, I, th- I think maybe without casting any aspersions, that would be the reason why. Uh, when the matter started, there was an application which was made by uh, Ms. Kelly Kumalo's uh, legal rep of saying, can we have access to the docket? Uh, basically, which have detailed the state, various statements that would have been there. Now, you see, I still to this day fail to understand what's the strategy of the state when it comes to the second docket. If you go to prosecute a certain matter, like any criminal matter, the burden of proof is on you as a, as, as a state, meaning that you must be able to prove beyond reasonable doubt that the sequence of events that you are coming with, the people that are involved in everything that has to do with a certain matter, is a story that you are bringing into the court. And there's no other explanation except that the one that you are bringing that must be, must be relied on and that can be, can be proved by anybody else. Now, if there are going to be instances of doubts, instances of maybe this particular matter happened in that particular man, in a manner, maybe there's another witness that could have came in, that's where you get instances of doubt which are going to trouble you at the end of the day. Which is why then the state is then called the dominus litus, because we then say to the state, get as many witnesses as you want. There's, that is then going to be a process of elimination in the things which you are going to admit, so that you eliminate the number of witnesses that would go into the witness box. What I think ought to have happened is that the second docket, the, the 375 docket, they should have said, let's look at the two dockets that we have. They contain evidence. That is your ammunition, which is which you are going to use at court. Let's benchmark between the two. If there are two statements from one individual, let's then say, I want to check what comes from uh, docket number one, what comes from docket number two, what is similar, where, where do the, the two statements are in conflict with each other? Because you still have access to the investigating officer. Then you call the investigating officer, I think it's part three or, or section C of the docket. And then you say to them, you know, the two witnesses in which you've obtained statements from, they are contradicting each other. Uh, can you then call them into either for them to clarify? And if you can see that someone is lying within those statements, then charge them for perjury. Charge them for bringing accomplices to to to, uh, to to the crime. Charge them from defeating for defeating and obstructing the ends of justice. So that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You can have eleven accused persons in a single trial. However, if if the elements or the cause of action is the same, and the sequence of events in which will help you to prove your case are all the same. Put them in that witness box because it's going to make it easier for you to prosecute that trial. Another thing which is going to come into play is that you do not want witnesses to come in twice for the same for the same sequence of events, however, in a different matter. Because you run a greater risk of them contradicting each other. From now, from this t- the trial that we're in now, you can see the number of events in which the, the lawyers are saying, look at what you wrote to your statements, look at what you are saying today. Now, we do not want to to create another loophole in which they're going to say, look at what you wrote in your statement, look at what you said in your first sitting within another courtroom while you were under oath, by the way, and look at what you are telling us now. All these three versions are contradicting each other. You can't be a credible witness. I do not, for the life of me, don't I don't understand how the, the state could then say, we are going to prosecute at a later stage. Why are you doing that if there, there's a there's a possibility that they're going to be conflicting statements here and there, which is why you are going to find the problem of a number of people saying that I don't remember, I don't know, I don't remember, I don't know. And which which is why you are going to find another problem which is going to loom, where the defense will, will then say, uh, can you then tell us whether you are going to call these witnesses? Because if you don't, we'd like to subpoena them. They've written very beautiful statements that can be able to assist us in, at the end of the day. So in order for us to win, uh, and to make sure that we're able to defend our clients, please call them. If you don't, give us free reign in order for us to call them in so that you can be able to to, 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 to ask this particular question. So for me, 
they, I think they should have merged the two. And once the, these two dockets were merged, then it could have been easier for them to, to, to prosecute this matter. But it may be very detrimental to the state if they don't attend to the concerns and the very live possibility of contradictions taking place from the statements of these two dockets. Right. I'm going to invite um, our listeners now to, um, uh, you can put your hands up uh, and I will be allowing you the opportunity to contribute. Uh, we've got Umpumelolo Zigalala. He is lawyer legal analyst who's going to be um, helping us with many of your questions. And he's been really helping us make sense of Pumelo Mazala's uh, testimony. Mazala, of course, is uh, the first witness who was in the house when Senzo Mayua was killed to take the stand. We haven't heard of anyone else who, uh, or from anyone else uh, yet, who was present when Mayua uh, actually died. And so, you know, you'd imagine that his testimony would bring us closer to the truth or almost start painting a picture for us. I don't know if you feel that way, if you feel that you are any closer to the truth, whether we have any clear indication about what's going on. Uh, but let's start with Constitution first. Constitution first is one of uh, our listeners, and he wants to make a contribution, a question or a comment uh, for Mpumelelo Zigalala. Of course, Jumala Matala has completed his uh, time on the stand. He's no longer going to be testifying, at least for now, unless he's called back to the witness stand to clarify anything. Constitution first, you have been accepted. Please unmute yourself and make your contribution. Uh, thank you, thank you. And uh, thanks to EWN e- e- and, and, and as well to your guest, Mpumelelo. Um, Let me just make a, a, a small comment. I, I just believe that the society has already taken sides on this issue uh, as well. Um, I, I don't think the, the, the gentlemen who asked who are in the dock there, um, the, the way people are reacting, they believe that um, those guys are guilty. It seems as if we as a society believe something else, that crime could have been committed by those inside. And 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 and, and I, I, I have been observing this since uh, uh, the first uh, advocate, okay, who is no longer advocate, but therefore, uh, when, when he will have this altercation with the judge, uh, you, you will see even in the social media, even on radio uh, lines, that people are picking the side of Tefo and saying the judge wants to protect uh, the witnesses. Uh, let, let me tell you, that's, that's the first point that I wish to say. It's difficult. The, the, the situation has just been polluted because whatever the, the witness comes, whoever comes there, the society has already believed that both that person uh, is trying to protect those who are in the house. Because that's the first part. How can maybe the, the question now to to, to Mumelelo is I, I I can see okay what 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 are, are we to make about the level of either education of, or understanding of issues of Tumelo Madlala because it seems as if the, the bar has been set so high people expect so much from the guy and 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 one he seems to be it's the first time for him to to appear in cases of this nature. So he is likely to make some of his mistakes, but but I, I don't want to conclude. But how, 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 what what are we to make of his level of education? Two, uh, what what can we say about the state handling of this issue? Remember that the, the guy who went there from the state, the investigator who used to be a surgeon or chemist. Uh, we, we we almost agreed that he also messed up the crime scene. So if if we have a situation like that, and is, isn't it possible that whatever my, Tumelo says uh, the state could have contributed as also in, in messing up the crime scene and it may look like uh, Tumelo is also lying to defend himself because of this lingering thing that in case you, you, you lie you will also be held uh, alive, you could be charged as well I, I think I, there are those issues to me that these guys those who are in the house may be telling some story but it may not match up with what the state has investigated including some other things because the state may have also messed up the crime scene in, in the way they executed uh, the investigation at the beginning of, of, of the whole thing. Uh, thanks, thanks, thanks for, for, opportunity, for this opportunity. Thank you very much, uh, Constitution First. Malala, maybe you want to take that? I mean, the, the conversation around the education uh, is an important one. Advocate Mshololo does that all the time with all the witnesses. He, uh, she asks, um, you know, what's your highest level of education in order for her to be able to package the questions, or at least that's what she says, in order for her to package the questions accordingly. Um, do you think that his level of uh, uh, education and uh, comprehension has worked against him as a, as a witness? 
I would say not not really. Let's remember as to why why a witness would go into the witness box. Either you go in there as a person who has um, who's an eyewitness who was certainly there when the, that particular occasion took place. So all that is being asked from you is to do it to the sequence of events as they occurred. It would have nothing to do with your level of education or, or any expertise that is there. However, when it comes to an expert witness, we, here we are referring to your forensic investigators, your SAPS, you are then saying, you are a person who has been trained, who understands what they ought to do in this particular uh, crime scene. Did you do your job in a manner in which it is written? And if you didn't, tell us why. If you then you do then understand the implications of not complying with the procedures and, and processes that are put there. Now, the strategy which is then employed by Advocate Mushurul of State, or first starting with the educational background, is to, is to then say, I want to highlight to the court that here I'm not dealing with the uh, an extremely lay person, if there is such a, 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 a phrase. But I'm dealing with a person who has basic knowledge uh, of how things actually work in the real world, but most importantly, a person who can comprehend between right and wrong, and they know how to act in accordance with the right convictions of, of, of what they have decided. So when they lie or they present information which is not really accurate, I can then be able to draw the conclusion and say that they didn't lie by mistake. They did not uh, uh, unintentionally mislead this court. They knew exactly what they are doing. So at the, at the end of the day, the answers that they have provided are simply there to mislead this 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 court. Hence, why the evidence should not be uh, regarded or be or any credibility or, or any reliability be apportioned to them. And the second one is that on the credibility side of things, is that there are going to be questions which are going to put you in a bad light as a witness. Those questions have been put in there for a particular reason. You are supposed to answer them, and they are going to put you in a bad light. But the importance of that bad light is that it has no bearing whatsoever to the sequence of events or to the intimate details of the the, the, the crime which, which, which has taken place. Let's make a small example. If he had answered and said, I've received a million rands from Netflix, that does not change that there are certain people that came in on that fateful night. It does not change that Mr. Sanzo Mayor was shot. It does not change the evidence that he's supposed to bring. But in fact, it works in his favor because it then says, here we have a witness who's able to answer questions even though socially they can be viewed as, as he can be viewed as a person who has no morals, even though socially he can be viewed as a person who only saw his friend or financially benefited from his friend and nothing else. And you have an ability to change that during re-examination or to, to clarify as to what money did you receive and what did you use that money for. So it has no bearing whatsoever in the elements of the case. However, it adds to the credibility which is there. On, on, on the first part that was stated by Constitution First is that, you see, this trial is not only about um, the, the, the sons of Mayor family. But it is also about the credibility that must be afforded to the legal justice system, the credibility that must be afforded to the law enforcement agencies, which is why it's important for the NPA to handle this matter with absolute care and diligence so that at the end of the day we can be seen or they can inspire confidence in us as members of the public that if ever someone were to break into my house and kill me, I know that my family will be able to know the truth and the perpetrators will be brought to book and they will be punished accordingly. If they don't do that, then it does cast doubt as to how exactly are police officers handling these particular matters? Are they well trained? Do they even understand what they ought to do? And do we have confidence that they will be able to attend to the investigation as it comes as it comes about? Already the NPA is sitting on 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 a, on a standing on a back foot because it has taken eight years for the law enforcement agencies agencies to investigate this matter, and with an amount of time that has left, one would accept that the level of investigations would have been high, the amount of evidence that is going to be produced at court is going to be of high quality, and there's very little um, disagreements or maybe discrediting of the witness of the evidence which is going to come in, which ought to to, to take place. Now, if eight years later and so much money having been spent on an investigation, you end up two, with two dockets which are not uh, prosecuted together and which are told by the state that another one will be prosecuted at a later stage after this issue of credibility has then come, come in, then certainly it's not going to inspire any confidence when it comes to us uh, as, as members of the public. Hence why you would find certain comments which are going to 
all this time test the credibility of the law enforcement agencies and test the credibility of everyone which is uh, participating inside that particular courtroom to then say, are you doing all you can to make sure that you're able to bring in justice either for Senator Mayor or for the accused individuals that are there? Mm, yeah, thank you so, so much for that. I mean, I, I have, this question is for you, Mpumelolo, but it's also for everyone else who's listening. Um, and of course, I am taking, I'm going to be unmuting a number of you to make your contributions. But the question for me really is, did you get the sense that Dumelo Magala was at pains to protect himself while he was on the witness stand? Was Did he come across as a person who wanted to remove himself from the situation and not look like he did anything wrong? And I ask this question because from time to time, um, you know, at, what, what, what was really you know shocking for me is at a point where he was asked, do you realize that you could be prosecuted for the murder of your friend? And he burst out laughing. He burst out laughing, at, you know, head uh, thrown back, covering his face with his mouth. And he just, it was an un- uncontrollable laugh. So do you think that he was at pains to protect himself somehow and at least show the court that he's not to blame for what happened? I, I, I think he was uh, showing by all means that I, I did not participate in this, and uh, in, in the whole thing that has actually taken place. And I seem to align myself with um, the, 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 the sequence of events as detailed in the docket, which is currently in court. Now, I can assure you that the court is going to take some cognizance in the manner in which she answered that question in. Firstly, it was not a laughing matter. Secondly, you are dealing with a very important matter of your loved one, which of your friend that has passed on, and you are there to deal with serious matters. And all that we expect from you is to answer that particular question in a, a much more serious manner. In fact, it would shock you. And one of the things you should have been is, why should I be prosecuted for something that I didn't do and I'm not the one that came in and shot my friend? I would have no reason to do so. And I've spoken the truth since the day we started these proceedings and up until now. And even eight years ago, I started speaking the truth. So why should I be prosecuted for telling the truth as to what exactly happened? So that's the the, the, the type of, of the credibility and reliability findings which will, will, will keep on, 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 on creeping in here and there. And to go into the witness box is not a nice thing. I, I wouldn't even be, I don't think I'll be able to survive um, like, like it's a normal process. Um, the, the, there's a lot of concentration that needs to happen. And you note that you need to be careful in the answers in which you are giving, but your answers have got to be crisp to the point. And certainly the way in which he is doing and is, is, is answering these questions is not in a manner um, that may in, inspire confidence, according to me. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting to see his demeanor there. I mean, I was really, really surprised and shocked to see that transition. The move from that man who was, you know, weeping and crying uncontrollably and, you know, emotionally pointing out a witness at the beginning of, or a, a suspect at the beginning of the trial, all of a sudden, um, you know, has laughing gas and he just can't hold back the, the laughter. But also at certain points in all of this is almost, you know, um, cocky for lack of a better word it was it was very interesting to see him change uh, Litabo is going to be speaking I have uh, allowed you to be a speaker Litabo but before you do speak a uh, couple of people here in the chat box making their contributions someone here wanting to ask what does it mean for the letter from the NPA that further people may be prosecuted uh, based on the evidence in the current case and I think Mumelelo has spoken on that but he will um, shed further light because it is an important question what does a pending case mean for a current case that's before the courts um, and then someone else here says also perhaps I missed it but according to Dumelo the deceased was shot in the kitchen right but why was the body found in the lounge instead of the kitchen where the deceased was allegedly shot we'll come back to those questions after we get our contribution from Letabo. Letabo unmute yourself you can speak and everyone else don't be shy we're, uh, we're welcoming your contributions right here on Above the Law the Sins of Me Your Trial Letabo, go ahead. Thank you so much. I wanted to say that with the way to mellow, like the uh, the whole thing that's been go- been going on, they, you know, someone can laugh and be like very like nervous at the same time, because also not only um, if you hear like the way he's like answering and stuff, there's a lot of confusion and being not like like nervous to like think oh my god if i say this like you can see that it's not it might look like okay he is playing games but there's a i can sense like there's a whole lot of like nervousness 
in him, like in his voice. Mm. That is expected. You know, it's expected that witnesses will take, um, will get into the box and, and they will be nervous. Most of us have never had to testify in a court of law. So I can see the nerves there. Bumalala, I want us to address one of the comments uh, or one of the questions. What does it mean that the letter from the NPA um, that further people may be prosecu- prosecuted based on the evidence in the current case. Does it compromise this matter at all? And while Mpumelelo uh, uh, answers that question, you are welcome to request to be a speaker and I will unmute you. Mpumelelo? You see, what, what it then does, then it, it uh, sort of ignites fear in the witnesses which are going to come at a later stage because you not only are going to be branded as someone who's a liar in this case, you then stand a uh, possibility of being charged at a later stage for, for lying or for perjury. And it does not assist you as a as a state in in proving your case because you need witnesses who are going to be free to be able to state whatever they need to state and also to admit most importantly when they are wrong. As stated earlier, we're not superhumans. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to answer things that may be construed in another manner or that may be misunderstood by certain individuals. However, we do get an opportunity to set the record straight. So in, in, in that, you then are setting yourself up for failure or very, for, for a very steep uh, legal battle if you do not uh, put into confidence the witnesses that you're going to rely on and tell them that I'm going to work with you every step of the way. All that I, I require is that you tell the truth. So that letter has no bearing whatsoever in this current case. And you may see an application being made at a later stage in terms of saying all those witnesses that were not called by the state, then the defense will then say, please give us an opportunity to call them. They've deposed two witnesses to, to, to statements under oath. They've held very certain important information and we want to subpoena them so that they are then um, put into the witness box and state the sequence of events that took place. Is it something that took, that was... Um, as it is put by the other witnesses, or is there, is it is there a difference between the two? Another one is that if you go back to the comment made by Ulitab, now human beings de- 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 um, sort of behave differently. There's someone who's going to laugh when they're scared. There's someone who's going to even cry when they're when they're when they're happy. They call them tears of joy. But the most sporadic responses are the ones which are honest because you don't have a chance to hide them. And it also depends on the importance of the question being asked and the context in which you are dealing with. If you are being asked about whether you witness someone that you've never known in your entire life and it's simply because you were there at that particular point in time that you were able to see the incident taking place and someone who was close to your heart that you even regarded and called your friend, obviously the responses are going to be different. And that particular reaction must be consistent all the way. So if you are going to start off being very emotional, and whenever as time goes on and you become comfortable in that witness box, you then lose those 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 guards or maybe you become more familiar with the, with the settings. And that, that seems to change. Yes, it can be expected, but it can't be a huge jump. So for me, the responding to that question in that particular matter is certainly going to cast doubt to the, to, to the judge. And it's certainly some of the things that you may f- even find the defense uh, legal reps uh, taking uh, taking taking them to task and saying in their closing arguments, just look at how we responded to that particular information. We're dealing with the credibility and reliability here. And certainly that did not inspire any elements of credibility. And even in the in the in, in the in the in the evidence that he provided, so he can't be a trusted witness. In terms of case building, um, you know, you we're all trying to figure out um, what the what the state's case is, and and the state is keeping its cards very close. Uh, we're just you know accepting the witnesses as they come, and we're processing whatever they're saying. But what would be the logical next move after a witness like Dumela Malala? Would it be more people who are in the house, um, or would that run the risk of us seeing any inconsistencies if there are any? Between the the witnesses, um, would 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 the state would it be wiser for the state to move maybe to uh, an, an expert, a pathology expert, or would he continue with the sequence of the people who were in the house to finish that chapter of evidence? Uh, well, it would be a, a bit a, a bit of a difficult one to 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 see. But what I think the state is doing, they're saying we're going to start with forensic evidence or uh, um, expert evidence first because in that one can't really be disputed, and then you're going to go 
to the actual eyewitnesses. So if we exchange the two, we're able to start or lay a foundation of saying, forensically, uh, within the professional realm, these are the seconds of events that have taken place. So whatever the eyewitnesses are going to come and add are simply going to be based on what the external independent professional individuals or witnesses have come in and stated to this court. So the chances of that evidence being accurate is much more greater than the ones in which the eyewitnesses are going to come in and, and bring in. In instances where there's conflict, in instances where there's inconsistency, then the expert witnesses or the professional witnesses will then be able to cover those ones and say, even if the eyewitness can say the the gunshot wound came uh, from the back, however, the postmortem report is going to be able to prove that this particular uh, process took place. Another one that they can choose to take is to say, let me bring in all my eyewitnesses under one banner so that if there are elements of conflict, which is easy for us to identify them, and if there are elements of consistency, it's easy for us to highlight them so that we're able to to, to hammer them at the end of the day or to maybe highlight the, those consistencies that have been identified by all the witnesses that are there. And after we're done with that, we can then move on to the other uh, professional witnesses that will come in and, and then be able to prove the state's case. So it's difficult to gauge, but I think what they are doing now is they are saying, Let's take two professional or expert witnesses and then two or one um, um, eyewitnesses so that we, we can be able to build our case in a proper manner. Mm-hmm. All right. That is Mpumelo Zigalala. He is a legal analyst and lawyer, and he's been helping us make sense of Dumelo Mazala's testimony. He's given Dumelo four or five out of ten in terms of his testimony. I don't know how you guys feel, whether he, he did a better job than that. Um, and I think the way that we can measure whether he did a, a better job is, do you feel um, or do you feel that there's been any more clarity? Uh, do you feel like you know any more about what actually happened on the night that Senzomeo was killed? Or are you left with more questions than answers? Or Remember, all the witnesses that take the stand are there to assist the courts in coming to a final decision. And of course, with every witness that then, um, you know, takes the stand, uh, it should then be considered whether or not they're doing that, whether they are helping the court to come closer to a decision, whether they are assisting um, the court to get a clearer sense of what happened on the night that Senzo Miyu was murdered. Dumelo Mazala is uh, the first witness who took the stand, who was present in the house, the first eyewitness, essentially, uh, who took the the witness stand. And we're expecting the state to present their new witness tomorrow. Quite a bit that's happened, though, over the last few weeks with Mazala on the witness stand. It feels like a lifetime ago when you first took the stand. And that's because there have been big jumps and big gaps, really, between his initial... Um, him initially being uh, sworn in and you know now as he finishes it feels like it's a massive jump in time and we're going to be seeing more of that actually because uh, we understand that this matter is only going to return to court in May next year so I don't know what you make sense of that but it does seem as though it's moving really really slow. Tomorrow though that uh, surprise witness is going to be taking the stand and we're all watching that witness uh, stand the witness uh, box to see who the next person will be I want to speak about the role of the media because we can't uh, deny or we can't ignore uh, the role of the media in this trial. But also it's been very interesting to see how the media has been treated in this trial. And yes, I am biased as a reporter. I've got my opinions about how the media is being treated. But I also do think that it's an important conversation to have because a trial of this magnitude can't run uh, with the media not being present. But it almost seems as though it's becoming more and more difficult for the media to cover this case. Um, the events this week, the media kicked out after Mazala's face was shown, uh, after a court order that his face should not be shown. I mean, do we run the risk of even being kicked out completely here in Pumelolo? Should we all prepare to just be on our way out? I think maybe the level of preparation should be to say to your lawyers, please be on standby whenever certain decisions are being taken which are being adverse. And most importantly, those decisions are being taken without you as the media being given opportunity to respond. So which will be what took place during the week. Now, some some people may say the media is not really needed or should not be even be part of the proceedings, but that's where they are wrong. If you look at our constitution, it says that every accused person has a right to a fair trial, which includes under section C, to a public trial before an ordinary court. That means that I can go into any court 
and be able to sit and listen in on those particular proceedings, regardless of whether I'm connected to the accused or to the defense or to the uh, uh, the, the, the the family um, where the, of the of the perpetrators or any of the stakeholders in, in, in those proceedings. Now, that's the role and understanding we should have in the participation of the media. And most importantly, it is then to say nothing can be hidden from what is happening within our courtroom. So if you then understand the role of the media, Treat them in the same manner in terms of saying, whenever there are allegations which are against the media, call them in first before you take a decision. You can't punish a child and then on a later stage and then ask them what happened because you can't repair that punishment what it has been done. And it's going to be a lot of time wasting what is going to take place if we are going to behave or individuals are going to behave in this particular manner. So. Even the reminder of the rules when it comes to maybe the showing of the faces, the on of audio only, it, it must be reminded to every single time the person is there. I always make this example. When you go to court, you're always told to switch off our cell phones. But 90% of the time, there's a cell phone which is going to go off somewhere, some, somehow. It, it, it signifies the fact that you are humans at the end of the day. Mistakes do happen. And when those mistakes have taken place, we can't take harsh decisions. Those decisions have got to be in the interest of what is happening with those, with those uh, uh, proceedings and make a decision which can be able to provide less restrictive means when it comes to the way things are supposed to be done. So I think from now on, I think also the judge has taken heed of that and, and understands that. And I think we're going to have a situation where um, he would say, before I take a decision of throwing the media out, if it needs to be, uh, let, let me deal with the, 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 the particular effects uh, as they come. However, again, it is the responsibility of the media to understand the following. Going to court and to be a witness, it is not a nice process or a nice thing to do. There are lots of pressures which you are going to find. There's a lot of emotions which, which, which then creep in. So I would I would even go as, as far and say, let's respect the individuals when they're going in and out of court, especially when we know that those particular individuals are fully participating in these proceedings. You can stop the legal practitioners. I think they're used to that uh, when it comes to, to, to our clients, especially if their clients are high profile. But when it comes to the witnesses, it's going to assist if those witnesses are able to come in and out of court in a nice manner, not being stopped or chased down uh, by, by the passage in, in, in any manner, and then it's going to end them. Now, if your camera is standing there still focusing on everyone that comes in and out and the person is not followed or chased in, then it makes a very good case when you're in court to say, but my camera was simply placed there. I did not do anything which was to intimidate the witness. I did not do anything which was to make the witnesses uncomfortable. And I didn't even know that this particular person was a witness. However, after I had known, we then made sure that we did not show their faces or um, we did not chase them down when it came to the, 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 the way they came in and out of court or in any other matter other than within these court proceedings. So it's a two-way, it's, it's a two-way street. We all need each other in, in, in this process. And all that we want is justice for the Myanmar family and just to check. And the acquiring of this justice even includes the checks and balances as to say, did the police do a good job? Is the NPA doing a good job? Are the defense attorneys doing a good job? Are the, is the presiding officer doing a good job? Are they fair? And sticking to the legal principles as they've been written. All right. Thank you so, so much for that. That's how well you are back to make your contribution. And if we don't have any more people, we're going to be wrapping up with a bit of a throw forward for the week to come. And yeah, we've come to the end. It's actually an hour that's gone by. So let's have a quickly before we wrap up. Oh, thanks. I wanted to ask, uh, I've got two questions for uh, Pumi. Yeah, is it Pumi? Pumi. Um, um, I wanted to ask you that. Uh, uh, Kelly Kumalu's lawyer always uh, popping in and stuff. I'm sure she's aware how things must be run and stuff. I mean, is there a reason, like, why is there a reason why she's always, like, popping up, like, here and there and then, then she will get chased? Is it because she, she is not aware or what? And the other question is to you, like the host, is that I remember the last time you did the space. Have you seen any progress with the case uh, or what's your thought about it? If you can talk about it, like from the previous space that you once had and I was once in. Thank you. Mpumelelo, maybe you can start and then I, the host, Komotamu Odise, will take over. Okay. Now, 
hours efforts like everybody else as to the request by the the lawyer of uh, Ms. Kelly Kuman. Firstly, she knows very well that you can't get access to the docket content unless you are an accused in that particular matter. And especially if you are the witness, you're not going to get any of that content because the reason why witnesses are chased away uh, from court while others are, are delivering or maybe giving out their witnesses is that we want to re- remove the element of tailor-making uh, evidence so that it suits uh, the, the previous witnesses one. It does get a bit um, hard to do that when a matter has been broadcast such as this one. However, anything that you wanted to protect um, from, from her client side could have easily done so by simply watching television or the YouTube channels which are carrying the matter forward. And then secondly, if you want to get the intimate details and even the responses, uh, this matter is being recorded. So there, the, the, there's a company called Snella Recordings. Every single person, anyone, you do not have to be even a stakeholder in this particular matter. All that you need is a case number, and you can simply go to them and say, I want to buy those transcripts. Can you be able to provide the transcripts to me? I think they were already using the transcripts from the previous occasions, which means that every single session they would sit down, tap them out, and you do have a proper record of what was happening. So once it is retyped, it's even cheaper than what the initial individual would have paid for them. So I think what she was trying to do is to maybe push the boundaries a bit. Even the men of making the particular application, we do not write letters to court, we make an application. So there was supposed to be a proper application in which they, she would have made, provide reasons of why she should be allowed to sit in or maybe get access to those particular um, pieces of evidence. And she knows very well that she, she, she wouldn't have received this, 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 this uh, evidence. All that she should, she should do is to wait up until uh, she's called, if they are called in as, 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 as a witness, and then only then can maybe can she fully participate in the proceedings as, as, as they are taking place. But for now, I also thought it was a bit of a waste of time and time which would have been very crucial in the, the finishing of this case. Okay, so Latabo, firstly, I want to thank you for coming back. I'm seeing a couple of people in this space who uh, had joined us in the last two spaces and are back today. So thank you for that. We appreciate um, your contribution and your presence. Is the case moving according to me? Yes, I think it is moving, albeit very slow, but it is moving um, and that's because, you know, we are seeing testimony. We're not seeing unnecessary delays. We're not seeing unnecessary postponements. All the postponements that are happening, especially the longer adjournments, are happening because the legal representatives in this matter are dealing with other matters. They, they've got other cases that they are addressing. So, you know, it is moving. But because of the nature of um, the work, it seems as though it's slow. And it is. It does feel very slow. You know, I just I said earlier on that we understand that after this, this uh, the next sitting is actually only expected to be in May next year because the diaries just keep clashing. So, um, you know, the legal reps in this matter, because there's so many of them, it's not convenient. They can't find a convenient time before May to be all in one room. And so it seems as though it's just it's going to be a very lengthy process. And that's why it's important that the next witness who takes the stand cooperates uh, with uh, the courts, cooperates uh, with the lawyers so that they may, we may be able to move quicker in terms of their testimony and get the next witness as soon as possible. So in my opinion, it's moving. It's just slow because of the nature of the events. Um, and yeah, on that note, we are expecting a, a new witness to take the stand tomorrow. We don't know who it is. And even if we did know, we wouldn't be able to divulge until they are sworn in because we are already on thin ice and we don't want to find ourselves kicked out as the media. So we're expecting the witness to take the stand tomorrow, 10 a.m. in the Pretoria High Court. And we're expecting proceedings to then start in that way. We're not anticipating any delays. Uh, hopefully there will be no chasing There will be no running after the person. There will be no hounding. There will be no questioning before they are sworn in. Um, uh, I am going to have to reject your hand because we've come to the end of the space. It is an hour-long space and we can't go any longer than that. But I really do appreciate your contribution. I appreciate everyone's contribution. My name is Komoto Mudise. I've been covering the Senzo Meiwa trial. I'm back in your EWN bulletins tomorrow as well as a number of Q&As that I do with the, the host on 702. And I hope that you will listen. 
in and further contribute. We are back on this space above the law, the Senzomeiwa trial. We're back with the next installment next week. What we're doing with these spaces is that we're having the space every week that the trial is in session. So once the trial, uh, this portion of the trial or this leg ends, then we will not have a space until the next one. So our next space is next week, Sunday. And then the following week, we'll have a space again because this matter is set down until the 2nd of December. Thereafter, we wait until May to hear what happened on the night that Senzo Meiwa was killed. But for me, thank you so, so much. I appreciate your contributions. I appreciate you uh, coming on to the space. And let's continue engaging. Engage the tweets on EWN Reporter. Engage the tweets from me, Kumuto Mudise. My Twitter handle is Muto underscore Mudise. And I tweet live every day from the Senzo Meiwa trial. Mbumelelo, I'd like to thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you for taking the time today. Uh, thank you very, very, very much for hosting me and also to the listeners that were able to join. Maybe another bigger conversation, another conversation that you need to have when it comes to access to justice is this court times that we, we, we are subjected to. Absolutely no reason why we can't start at nine and be able to do even weekends from nine up until one. Certainly we'll be able to get more done if you then allocate and, and drive away from the conventional court times that we've, we've been so used to. Thank you. Oh, that's an interesting one, and I, I, it's a conversation I do want to have. We've kind of gotten used to uh, a high court starting at 10, magistrates court starting at 9, and because the, the accused are in custody by 3, we need to be done so that they can take into their respective cells. But you make a good point. We should be stretching ourselves further, especially in a matter like this that could take years. Thank you so, so much. Have a blessed Sunday from myself, Kumuta Mudise, and the EWN team. Thank you for listening, and let's do it again next week on Above the Law, the Senzo Meiwa trial. Cheers.